Hi, and welcome to the Bureau Podcast, your new home for compelling, trustworthy, and independent investigative journalism. The Bureau.News is the new home of Canada's finest independent investigative journalist, Sam Cooper, and features exclusive breaking stories and analysis of domestic and international developments you simply can't find anywhere else. You definitely want to subscribe to the Bureau.News on Substack, where Sam Cooper has taken up residence. His latest dispatches are delivered right to your email inbox. I'm John McComb, host of the Bureau podcast, and I catch up with Sam on a regular basis to discuss his latest investigations, most recently the Chinese Communist Party's attempts to interfere with and undermine our democratic election processes, surveil and intimidate members of Canada's Chinese community, and control and influence Chinese as well as mainstream Canadian news outlets. And Sam... There's a hell of a lot to talk about on this week's show. Let me just name a few. Conservative foreign affairs critic uh, Michael Chung, who has been a repeated target of Chinese government intimidation, spoke before a U.S. congressional hearing. We will dive into all of that. Also, after saying first that there would be no public inquiry into alleged Chinese government interference in our elections, The Trudeau government has relented in the face of public and opposition pressure and named Quebec Court of Appeal Justice Marie-José Hogue to lead the inquiry. Sam has uh, been pushing for a public inquiry, as you know, for months. Does this fit the bill? And last but not least, the intrepid Mr. Cooper has just returned from a trip to Taiwan where he gauged public and political reaction to Beijing's constant threat of invasion Uh, to take back the island nation it says belongs to China. Sam, welcome home. Uh, You landed in this country and uh, news was breaking out all over. Glad to have you back. Let's uh, go with the very latest, and that is, um, as we mentioned, MP Michael Chong testifying before a U.S. congressional hearing about China. What did he say? Thanks, John. It is great to be back. And yes, we jumped right into covering uh, MP Chan's testimony today. It was notable to me that MP Chan informed the the U.S. congressional panel really of a number of the Beijing's interference tactics that we've talked about in great depth in recent weeks on our podcast here. So uh, a little pat on our own back here for leading the way in informing the world. But MP Chan talked about China's uh, control of Chinese language media, its use of WeChat to target himself, and generally, you know, just a very big platform to seek to control and leverage the Chinese-Canadian diaspora, which, as I've reported and MP Chan confirmed, is Beijing's main method of foreign interference, is attempting to control that segment, almost 5% of Canada's population, MP Chan talked about how he himself was targeted by Chinese intelligence, along with his family, for being a critic of Beijing, most specifically sponsoring a motion to declare China's genocide in Xinjiang, something that should be essentially censored around the world. And uh, he told the the U.S. legislators that he and others in Canada uh, have been subject of China's interference. And in a nutshell, 
his argument was Canada needs to work much more closely with its allies, the United States, the nation of Taiwan, uh, Australia, and the United Kingdom on measures such as a foreign agent registry. He pointed to Taiwan's world-leading efforts in countering disinformation. And John, I was rather, you know, felt rewarded to see that MP Chan pointed to China's interference tactics using corruption and financial crime and money laundering. He said that these crimes often go hand in hand with foreign interference and Canada needs much stronger laws to expose financial corruption. And again, this is something that I've been hammering on exclusively in my investigations. So I do think it's important that MP Chan pointed to some some major reforms and that Canada needs to work hand in hand with the United States to implement these uh, reforms because Canada, as he said, our elections are in in great danger. Well, let me just pick up on that because we have uh, some audio of uh, Michael Chong's testimony before the U.S. uh, congressional hearing today. Here's a bit more of what he had to say. Chairman Smith, you also mentioned uh, how the PRC is using money. Uh, to corrupt our system. And I think that's another area for cooperation. Often transnational repression comes alongside corruption, alongside uh, personal illicit gain, um, payments of monies or consideration, money laundering. Um, And so I think uh, countering that money laundering, countering countering the the, uh, proceeds of illicit gain, I think, is something where democracies also need to work more closely on. And, and the United States being the world's reserve currency and, and the U.S. dollar being the main means of transaction in our global economy, I think uh, we, can, we can do a lot together to counter uh, this uh, repression that takes in the form of uh, financial corruption. And Sam, just to uh, go back to what you were saying before the clip there, he really has tied together which I think is so important, this idea of not only the Communist Party of China's interference, but also their relationship with organized crime and the the Chinese underworld. And that's something that you've talked about for many, many months. And I thought it was great that that particular aspect came out during these hearings. Also, because we have now a public inquiry that's going to be held into all of this. Finally, the Trudeau government has got off the pot, as it were. Do you think that this inquiry is going to deal with the underworld relationship between the Chinese government and all of the things that we've heard about money laundering and drug importation and God knows what else? Well, yeah, I'll I'll answer your your great question in two parts. First of all, yes, I do think Michael Chan, in a very diplomatic way, pointed to what I've been exposing. And by the way, the Taiwanese government has now come forward uh, in an answer to my questions on my trip and confirmed uh, by, by Michael Chan saying that financial corruption and money laundering are used in Beijing's interference. Yes, in my assessment, he is pointing to their direct usage of organized crime networks. You know, all the things that I've been writing about, that is Beijing's 
agents are using casino money launderers. They're using what I'll just come out and say are high-level tycoons with direct connections to organized crime that are involved in big-time real estate money laundering in Canada and how that can corrupt Canada's political class. I'm saying that in a diplomatic way, MP John was pointing towards those very schemes. And so, look, we now have a Canadian MP for the first time ever testifying for the U.S. Congress. And at a high level, I'm taking what MP John said as outlining that this is a major problem in Canada as it is around the world, China's use of corruption to corrupt democracies. And so really, uh, he's got the jump on this public inquiry by laying out the gauntlet and saying Canada needs to work with its allies together to come together with laws. I'll just, before getting into your inquiry question, say that he was asked a very directly an interesting question by a Republican senator who essentially said, hey, China's hitting us hard where it hurts. Should Western democracies be using covert or overt methods, that's a quote, to expose to China's own population the way its regime leaders are deeply involved in financial corruption. And I think MP Chan handled that question diplomatically with a smile. And he said, well, yes, it can be effective to use uh, ways of media to get the truth out beyond China's, as we know, its firewall block on all information for its citizens. So I'll leave that there. Very interesting exchange with the Republican senator. But will this pointing towards China's use of financial corruption in its foreign interference, will that go into Canada's public inquiry? John, my initial read at the outset is no, it would not, because from what I've seen, I and other, you know, sort of experts on this file, you know, it's a step that we have this public inquiry, but it looks very much to me like we've we now have a judge in place to look at the same documentation and the same sort of framework that the special rapporteur who has stepped down also looked at. So that is, you know, a set of media reports and documentation that underline them that would be available to the judge as I'm reading it, but it, I don't think, and others have commented, that the government with its framework wants that judge to look beyond that framework. And John, I'm arguing, I think you probably saw my tweet, that to understand foreign interference and election interference, we need to understand that the ways of funding Canadian MPs or politicians up and down from municipalities up to the Senate, the ways to influence them will necessarily be the ways that are used in money laundering, underground activity, organized crime activity, getting people with both connections to Beijing as collaborators and connections to the underground close to our politicians in the West is a front and center tactic of China's interference. And it's not only my investigation saying this now, as we've said, MP Chan is diplomatically pointing towards that. And as I think we'll get into, the Taiwanese government, through uh, my questioning last week, revealed that, yes, they see as the expert on Beijing's foreign interference, they see Beijing using organized crime and gambling networks as classic election interference methods. It's interesting to me that the public inquiry is not going to look just at Chinese government interference, but it's, it's broader than that. Russia, Iran, India, other countries, and their alleged interference. And it, it strikes me that the kind of interference that we're seeing coming out of Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party 
puts all of those other countries combined in the shade, you know, when it comes to the kind of activities that are taking place. I mean, China is so far ahead, if you will, of the Russians or the Iranians or the Indians that, to me, it seems distracting and superfluous to involve other countries in this inquiry, at least at this point. My thoughts on that are somewhat complex. I'll I'll agree with you 100%, John. What we've heard in the public hearings already, that is committee hearings that came out of my reporting in the past year, is we've heard from experts such as former CSIS officer Dan Stanton. He told legislators, the reason we're talking about China is because they're the A-team. They put, as you say, John, all the other countries involved in foreign interference in the shade. China's attacks on our elections go far and beyond anything any of these other countries are involved in. So I agree 100%. It's absolutely incumbent on this judge disappointed judge to make sure that the focus here is Beijing because all the credible national security experts in Canada and worldwide would say that if you're not focusing 98% on Beijing, you'll be wasting your time and your taxpayers' money because that's where the threat is. Beyond that, though, I do think it's you know fair game that we do have some understanding and focus that really we are talking about four or five countries here. I've named them. So we've got Russia, India, Iran, very much in the mix as all using, unfortunately, very similar methods of interference. Some people would say, let's put India in a bit of a different category. They have some a bit of a righteous complaint against Canada for not cracking down on extremists that threaten their own state and democracy. But to sum it up here, yeah, I do think it would be good if there is some understanding that there are other nations involved. And hey, you know what? They are involved, according to some of my more, um, let's just say, deep sources, countries such as China and Russia are involved together in interference, not only learning from other, but let's just say uh, disinformation networks, I believe even organized crime networks, business networks of those hostile regimes active in Canada could be working together. So yeah, let's focus 98 to 99% on China, but understand those, those other nations are a risk and we should understand. But the caveat here is don't for one minute let this hearing veer into, let's say, you know, another litigation of the trucker convoy and these questions of whether, ridiculous questions of whether some people in the U.S. government were behind the convoy or to a great degree Russian networks were. Look, these things happen to a little bit to an extent, but I won't get sidetracked on the convoy. But I do sense, certainly within the Liberal Party and some others, I think there would be a lot of people that would be pretty happy if this hearing became more about, you know, Russia's 2016 attack on the presidential election south of the border or other forms of influence rather than the real problem here, which is China. Do you think that this inquiry is going to give us the same kind of result, although it was uh, it was truncated, the same kind of result that we got from the former Governor General David Johnson and his special rapporteur position? Uh, do you think that this has been molded or shaped in any way by Trudeau and, uh, and his party? Well, I want to be very open-minded and uh, positive on the fact that after enough 
let's call it very informed public pressure. The government is moving towards having a judge who, as far as we know, is not part of the Trudeau Foundation or has not been involved in promoting Confucius Institutes in Canada, as Mr. Johnston was. So that's a step. But as we've sort of been saying, I can't say that I'm jaundiced, but I am skeptical that the prime minister's office certainly would have had a dog in the fight here to sort of set up frameworks and parameters of the inquiry. And even we can wonder about, you know, what judges were approved and why. So I do think that Canadians need to be very open-minded to the possibility that certain politicians, certain parties more than others, are at risk of vulnerability here. And from what I've seen, the uh, framework of the inquiry is not going to look at whether certain politicians and certain parties ignored repeated intelligence warnings. And I think that could be very problematic. So I do want to, you know, be positive and open-minded that we could learn a lot here. On the other hand, this could be a step that uh, doesn't go all the way. And if that's the case, look, John, you know I'll be reporting on new exclusives no matter what comes out of this inquiry. And uh, if this inquiry falls short, maybe this government falls short, and then we have another inquiry. Let's move on and talk about your trip to Taiwan, because this was a journey that you undertook, uh, I think it was about 10 days, and you spent a lot of time talking with Taiwanese government officials, uh, talking to uh, just Taiwanese folks about this constant, and it is, it's a 24-7 threat by the Chinese to invade that island, something that no one wants to see, and also the tactics that they have come up with to fight the kind of interference that we see in Canada, but it's <laughs> quadruply so for Taiwan. Yeah, I, it was a real opportunity, and uh, I, along with journalists from about 17 different countries, were invited and supported by Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They hope to inform the rest of the world about how important and interesting Taiwan is as its own democracy. It's got all the elements of a state, but as we know, China doesn't want any other nations to recognize it as a state, and so it isn't. And I came away from that trip uh, convinced that that's to the detriment of the world. And so just to, to inform our listeners a little bit about the trip, really, it was a jam-packed schedule in which the journalist uh, had the opportunity to sit down and question at length these high-level Taiwanese officials in various areas from uh, technology to the digital ministry to uh, people that have a lot of knowledge of how Taiwan has become the central innovative player in the high-level computer chip industry. One of the most informative sessions was with a deputy minister of the Mainland Affairs Council. This is the Taiwanese government ministry that deals directly with Beijing. It's very unique. It's not the foreign affairs or an, another ministry, essentially because of, I would say, the threat that uh, the Chinese regime poses to Taiwan. They have this separate ministry that is very much aligned with their intelligence agencies. So just some high-level takeaways from the trip. I'm going to be writing more about this, but as you pointed towards, it's been sort of DEFCON five or six levels of threats from the People's Liberation Army and the tactics, the threats that some experts believe a, a military invasion is almost imminent. So I was trying to get to the bottom of 
how Taiwan is preparing for that threat and, you know, whether it is indeed a real threat. On that point, certainly uh, it's plausible that Beijing is preparing to attack. What's stopping them? I came away with this conclusion a couple of years ago. Many smart people in the West would have said this is a fait accompli. Taiwan, none of its allies can stop Beijing if it wants to take that island. I came away with the knowledge that that's not true. It looks very much, John, like nations, especially Japan and the United States, are very much prepared to step in in ways that we don't even understand yet and help to defend Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan itself, uh, bit by bit, its population and its leaders are stepping up to sort of the very difficult challenge of a nation of 23 million defending itself against a hostile regime which controls with an iron fist its population of 1.4 billion. I, I will add this. I, it's very interesting that a lot of the reporting has been on Beijing's might and how imminent this threat to Taiwan is. But I sensed and gathered really a quiet and growing confidence within the Taiwanese leaders, a very capable, a very organized government. There's a lot of sense on the ground there, John, that, look, Xi Jinping has growing problems of his own. And that can be from China's economy is staggering and stumbling. Its over-reliance on real estate investment is just a huge Achilles heel. People are talking about a, you know, a U.S. financial crisis and whether we've seen the end of China's growth as an economy and plateauing just as a powerful economy, but one where we'll never again see, you know, the tremendous growth. And I tend to believe, uh, both from my own research and discussion with Taiwanese officials, that they think Xi Jinping has major problems with his economy, growing problems within his society that is not going to see the growth and the benefits that they have enjoyed for the past, you know, 20, 30 years or more. I was curious about your point that the Taiwanese have a perhaps a quiet confidence about being able to meet head on a Chinese incursion into their country. But you also wrote that a lot of people don't seem ready or don't even seem concerned about it, which I find somewhat surprising. Yeah, it, it is really interesting. And I'm still coming to terms with how to report on that. But I think that's 100% accurate that at a high level, the Taiwanese government understands, you know, the existential threat of uh, Beijing's both military threat and its deep united front infiltration tactics, which are the same, by the way, that they're turning on to Canada. Taiwanese officials understand that if the Chinese regime senses any weakness, first of all, in the international community, so let's not joke around here, we're talking about the United States and Japan, that Xi's troops will be in Taiwan in a minute. And if the Taiwanese population, that is their military and civilian population combined, don't have the capacity in place to defend against a ground invasion, that's a huge problem. And that is a big area of concern for both the U.S. official military experts I talked to, the intelligence community, even Taiwanese officials acknowledge that their population, a lot of them see this as sort of an abstract threat. Who knows? It could be that Beijing's cognitive warfare, years of shooting in the message that resistance is futile, has worked on a pretty big portion of the Taiwanese population. I talked to just, you know, average people in my walks around the city, 
And there was a sense that they don't want to be pushed by the international community into, hey, we're ready for a fight here. No, they, a lot of people do not want to assert Taiwan's very clear independence. Let's not joke around. Anyone that visits this place knows that this is a unique, independent, successful democracy. The challenge here is that both the Taiwanese population and the government officials aren't ready to stand up and assert that, to shout it from their, their mountaintops, unless they have the clear backing of, let's say, the government of Canada. Let's say the government of Britain is starting to go in that direction, the United States. So they need the support of the rest of the world. You know, there's a lot of interesting contradictions that I sussed out, and you're onto one there, that there is, you know, a lot of mixed messages going on in Taiwan. And point blank, they need to prepare their population more. But I do think they're moving in that direction. Taipei is a great city, and the people there are fantastic. I was only there for a short time, but it's a first world country. And their electronics, their level of tech is superb. It is a first world economy. But what else struck you about Taiwan and, and Taipei in the time you were there? Yeah, let's just start with the really human impression. I've lived in Japan for a few years, and I did find that there's a history there with Japan and Taiwan, but there's a very positive influence from Japan. The city of Taipei has a very similar to Japan's high-tech and very, let's just call it, appreciation of food, appreciation of culture, architecture. I just found Taipei to be a first-class world city, and uh, there's a lot of Japanese tourists there. And I think that's interesting. You know, the Taiwanese government is very welcoming of that Japanese connection. As a little aside, they're promoting an English bilingualism project within Taiwan in the, the next few decades. And that would both be, you know, very culturally enriching, probably, but I think it has its security ramifications that in order to be a world democracy, Taiwan wants to promote its very deep interactions and open and welcoming interactions with other cultures of the world. So that's what I came away with from uh, walking around Taipei, just the beauty of the city, beautifully designed modern architecture. At the same time, you would go into other areas of the city where the sort of more ancient and wonderful Chinese alleys with the noodle shops, yes, <laughs> barbecues out on the road, yeah. people enjoying the food, people enjoying older traditional Chinese medicine shops, the markets. Another thing, the impressions just uh, you had these massive trees overarching parts of the city. So just the the people, their warmth, their intelligence, their education level, just a wonderful place I found it to be. The U.S. position, you mentioned Japan, but the U.S. position seems to be pretty firm. The Chinese have never pressed it as hard as they have lately, and that is claiming Taiwan as part of China. But at least the public pronouncements out of Washington seem to indicate that the United States would be there if China decided to try to take Taiwan. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, that's 100% the case. And I, I don't know everything here, but I do think that Nancy Pelosi's trip last August was not just out of the blue. The repeated statements by President Biden when asked, would the U.S. defend Taiwan? He says point blank, yes, they will. 
And that's what we call strategic ambiguity because it's not the official United States government position that it is uh, duty bound to protect Taiwan. Taiwan is not a member of NATO. In fact, you know, the US government still, as other governments, recognizes the so-called one China policy that Beijing, you know, continues to assert through the United Nations, claiming that they are the government of jurisdiction over Taiwan. But in the meantime, you know, what we're getting from the leadership of the United States is, well, in official terms, they still recognize that one China policy. In real and practical terms, there's increasing engagement between U.S. lawmakers, Taiwanese officials. As I reported, and you know, John, the Taiwanese government has offered our Canadian government, they want to work together hand in hand to help Canada learn how to combat uh, these deep Chinese infiltration operations. So Taiwan is encouraging those exchanges. I believe the U.S. government is welcoming those exchanges. And at a very high U.S. military and intelligence level, I do believe they have very advanced plans on their capacities to defend against a Beijing invasion. And I wrote about a very prominent wargaming study that lays out essentially how China's attack would occur and how the U.S. military, not exactly hand in hand, but with deep support from the Japanese military, would decimate Beijing's attacking naval flotilla. And that would occur according to the wargaming. And I believe the high level thoughts in the U.S. government with the let's just call it assumption and caveat that as we've discussed, the, the Taiwanese government and population has to have a very ready military on the ground ready to defend against amphibious fleets that are just trying to assert Beijing's soldiers into Taiwanese cities and seeking to secure Taiwan's capitulation within days. So if the U.S. military, Japanese military, and Taiwanese military are ready to defend, I believe they are, Beijing won't succeed. Well, just to go back and pick up on what Michael Chong had to say, the conservative MP testifying before a congressional committee about working more closely with the United States in terms of dealing with Chinese interference, it strikes me that the Trudeau government Politically, I don't know whether they would want to be seen turning to Taiwan for advice on how to deal with China, simply because I think for the liberals it would be an embarrassment to them. And they have for so long tried to obfuscate and deny and look the other way and, and be willfully blind, if I may steal the title of your book, to what's going on in this country and what the Chinese are doing here. This public inquiry, they had to be dragged kicking and screaming into it. Who, I mean, what other country in the world, what other, what other state in the world has put up with the kind of interference that Taiwan has from China? They, they must be triply expert at dealing with it. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And in my reporting from Taiwan, when I and other journalists had uh, about an hour and a half almost to question Taiwan's Minister of Foreign Affairs, who provided refreshingly detailed and, and substantial and significant answers that I'm not used to hearing from Canadian government officials on geopolitical matters. You could say that I sort of almost put him in the spot when I said, look, Taiwan has such experience uh, combating Beijing's subversion campaigns would you work with Canada's government and can you tell us, you know, what kind of measures 
And the foreign minister, to his credit, in a diplomatic way said, yes, indeed, <laughs> Taiwan would and has offered its assistance to Canada's government. And look, John, I just think it's wise people listen to people of experience. As you say, who better in the world to help Canada's government and other democracies learn how Beijing's efforts to control diaspora communities and turn them against foreign governments works? And that's exactly what the minister's answer uh, laid out to me. I published it in my story. And to your point, does the Trudeau government want to be seen openly accepting Taiwan's assistance? Well, yeah, let's not joke around. Of course, uh, that would not be easy for them, and probably they do not. Let's not forget that, you know, several months ago, Prime Minister Trudeau stepped up to media questions and said, focusing on reports of Beijing's interference and alleged support of one of his MPs would be a tantamount to inflaming anti-Asian racism. As I think I've told you and others, John, I'm sorry, Prime Minister Trudeau, you're parroting a Chinese intelligence talking point. So do I think that the Trudeau government wants to openly take counsel from Taiwan on Beijing's interference? No, I don't. But I do think through media reporting, including the bureaus, through actions like MP Chan testifying in Washington, this government, which does have, I believe, some examples of deep vulnerability to Chinese interference within its ranks, perhaps going up to the Senate, they should be taking the counsel from other governments and they are being dragged, kicking and screaming into that place by simply uh, sunlight and truthful reporting. Well, absolutely. And I think we mentioned earlier the public inquiry and the pressure that was uh, put on the government to actually call the thing. Yeah, there was some pressure from the opposition, but, you know, let's not be bashful about it. Your reporting over the last many months, the last year and a half, two years, and the stories and the headlines that you've broken, I think, really informed Canadians about just what the hell is going on in reality and not this never-never land world that, uh, that the, the Trudeau liberals seem to find themselves in when it comes to, well, not only China, but several other issues which we won't go into, but certainly uh, when it comes to China. And... Um, I think you can take a good Canadian pat on the back for the work that you've done because uh, nobody else is doing this kind of reporting, that's for sure. Well, John, I will, I'll take your pat on the back. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to respond to that. No, it's, I mean, I we're, just... we're working together to... to... Patting you on the back. We're working together to, to get deeper into what underlies the reporting. And you are right. Uh, I will take the credit that for some reason, because I was uh, digging and connecting dots myself, people in Canadian institutions did reach out and set up covert meetings in which, uh, whether some politicians like it or not, information about political vulnerabilities in Canada was revealed to myself and later to others. And the reason it was revealed was because uh, Canada lacked the laws to prosecute this activity. And yet high level people, including our prime minister, were being warned of this activity and nothing was happening. And uh, just underline the point, there's no partisanship here. This interference operation from Beijing goes back decades. 
multiple prime ministers and parties are targeted. Some have uh, responded a little better than others. I do think that our sitting government is the worst of all in this measure in terms of how far the threat has buried into our systems. But yes, I will take credit for in some difficult circumstances, facing some threats, realizing that Canadians want this information. And that's why we're here. And I'm appreciative of unpacking it more deeply with the trusted interlocutor that you are. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And uh, I think it's time to break up this mutual admiration society and uh, leave it there for this week. Thanks for your time and your insight on all of these issues. And uh, a reminder to folks to head to thebureau.news and check out Sam's new home for his investigative journalism. That is thebureau.news. Sam, always appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Take care. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bureau Podcast. To read more of Sam Cooper's groundbreaking independent investigative journalism, subscribe at thebureau.news. To find out more about the Bureau podcast, visit bureau.news or my website, johnmccomb.com. That's John with no H. We'll catch up with you next time. Until then, take care and thanks for listening.